Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And happy Advent and Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! It's finally here! We are going to give you a delicious drink for Christmas Eve. We can also talk a little about Christmas drinks, and then we're going to do Christmas trivia and announce the winner of the nickname contest. Boom, boom, boom. So honestly, Mike, can you believe it's it's almost Christmas? Like, Why yeah. is it? Advent comes and goes so quickly, but Lent drags on forever. Like, Laetare comes, and you're like, it's only Laetare? But for Advent, Gaudete came, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I hear you. Is this an unusually fast Advent? There is only one answer. Fasting. If you fast during Lent, Lent drags on so slowly. It's true, and I would actually like to give a little bit of a, um, what do we call that, a retraction? Okay. Yeah, previous podcast was like, yeah, I always, I always fast during Advent. This has been, I've tried, but this has been maybe the least fasty Advent I've ever had. Like there were several times during the past couple of weeks I've been like, you're not fasting at all. <laughs> like, this, this is ridiculous. So anyway, I apologize to any of our listeners who thought I was super holy and then I did that. I don't really do it. I'm the worst. Speaking of retractions, did we ever retract... The uh, misstatement I made about bourbon several episodes ago. Wait, there was a time when you were wrong? Um, I, I think I think the editing, no offense, Ren. I think the editing was, you know, I, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> Let's put that on a producer. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Would you want to say what it was? Oh, no, because I... You're never wrong. No, I was... I didn't come super prepared for the bourbon thing. I just thought about that right now. All we know is that at some point in the when podcast, is, I have no idea. At some point in one of our podcasts, we were wrong. Well, I do remember one of our wonderful listeners very gently corrected me. And I wish I could remember his name to give him due credit. But he's a really interesting guy. And he actually worked tendentially with the bourbon industry. I don't remember his name either. All I remember is that he agreed with me. And so yeah, he's you were, pretty you were much right. my favorite person. It has something to do with straight bourbon. Oh, it was oh, about casks. It that's was right. casks. That's right. I was wrong about be, the casks. They have to be uh, new casks. They have to be new, and they have to be in charred white oak barrels. Right, charred. And so that is what needs to happen. And then straight bourbon is something where it's aged longer. Okay, I'm screwing this up again, and I'm sure... The wonderful listener who corrected me once will do so again. He's slapping his head right now saying like, God, did you listen at all? And if I'm wrong, dear listener, please write in again. And this time I will duly credit you by name, but it's time for a drink. All right. I think we definitely need to move on to Christmas. Mike, I just want you to know all is forgiven. Thank you. It's the season oh, of forgiveness. Christmas spirit. Yes. All right. Which is a good reminder to everybody, by the way, that the best way to prepare for Christmas is to go to confession. The lines may be long, but everyone should get their Christmas confession in. I know that's not canonical. You have to go during the Easter season, but... It's also like, you're right, but like, do you want to talk about that during happy hour? No, we just went to confession, so <laughs> we're good. 
All right, let us begin with our usual customary toast. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. Our, I was going to say, well, usually we say there's a saint's name, so-and-so pray for us. Oh, yes. But Jesus of the Nativity. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. All right. Holy family. Have mercy on us and pray for us. Okay, so, Alexandra, name the drink and give me the ingredients while I make them. Yay. All right, tonight's drink is the Adam's apple. And I think I know why it's called Adam. And I get the apple. So the ingredients are one ounce of apple brandy or apple jack. A half an ounce of gin and a half an ounce of dry vermouth. And then a dash of green chartreuse. Mmm, yummy. Ooh, I have a follow-up chartreuse story, by the way. Ooh. So I read the ingredients of this drink a little while ago, and I said, that doesn't really sound really good, which I'm often, I'm often the naysayer, right? But I assured you that you loved it. That last time I had it, which was probably when this book came out, <laughs> that I liked it. So... I'll be the judge. All right, I'm adding ice. And because it's clear, I'm going to stir 40 times. Since it's not opaque, you do not shake. Why, thank you. Well, all ye saints of Advent and Christmas. Pray for us. Cheers. Adam and Eve. Yeah. Pray for us. Pray for us. Right. We'll talk about that. Okay. I'm curious about that because that's really interesting. All right. That's a pretty great drink. Smooth. It's so incredibly smooth. So apple brandy, gin, dry vermouth, and green chartreuse. So it's, it's kind of like a martini, but with brandy. Yeah. I don't know if it's kind of like a martini. It's it's very smooth. I'm wondering if this is one of those cocktails you give to people who don't like cocktails. Hmm. Because some people so. are like, oh, the alcohol, I can't stand the taste of it. Right. But this strikes me as very smooth. But I agree. I'm, I don't have the right palate to judge because <laughs> you like I cocktails. Love all kinds of alcohol. So you're not one of those people. No. So I just I can't inhabit their space. <laughs> okay. Well, I like this drink a lot, but explain to me. Why we're having the very right before Christmas a cocktail named after Adam? So in the Byzantine calendar, December twenty fourth is the feast of Adam and Eve, and as we may explain later, it also had an influence on the Western calendar. But it makes sense to think about Adam and Eve the day before the Nativity, because It is the fall of Adam and Eve, according to at least some theologians, that prompted the new Adam to come and the new Eve, the Blessed Virgin Mary. I love that, that Jesus is the new Adam and Mary is the new Eve. So it may sound weird to think of Adam and Eve as saints, but according to tradition, they felt really, really bad after the (laughs) fall, after they condemned all humanity. As our kids would say, they were like, my bad. Yeah, it was a huge bad. And so they spent the rest of their 900 or so years doing penance, ultimately died in a state of grace. And then during the harrowing of hell, 
on Good Friday, they were the first to be pulled out from limbo to get ready to enter into heaven. I just love that you think of Adam and Eve and you're like, yeah, bad guys. Like in all of human history, the worst guys are Adam and Eve. <clears throat> There's a way in which like God's mercy is so great that they're the first ones to be removed from hell, the heroine of hell. Yeah, so it's kind of nice. Because God is so merciful. So the Adam's apple features as its main ingredient applejack brandy. So there's apple brandy. Applejack literally is jacked up apple brandy. It is a higher concentration of alcohol. And it was invented by the American colonialists that they took regular apple brandy in the Northeast They left it out over the winter, and it froze, but it was only water that freezes. So they would take... (gasps) They froze out the water? They froze out the water, so they would take that layer of ice and remove it, and what was left was a higher concentration of alcohol, and it's really good. That's so interesting. So we're into making soap right now? And we're taking all kinds of like bits of lard from various animals and rendering. And we're mixing it with water, boiling it with water. And then you let it go outside in the cold and you take off the fat. And then what's left is like the water that's kind of the impurities. And so it makes the fat more pure. That's so neat. Yeah. Like to use your environment in order to make something that's higher octane in the case of liquor. That is correct. Yeah. So I know they make it differently now, but that's the origins of jacked up apple brandy apple jack that's so neat and that's a, it's a really good drink i don't i always think i don't like brandy like it's so strong it's burnt wine usually is the like what brandy means brandy wine brandy means wine. burnt wine it's twice fermented twice fermented this is a lovely drink well thank you all right well i think it's time for a little christmas trivia Because, as it turns out, I am now Mr. Christmas. Dr. Christmas? Professor Christmas. Mike. I will call you Mike. Alexander's looking at me like, you pompous ass. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, Mike, don't you have some things to say about Christmas? Because you have a new book out about Christmas, and it is called... Why Why We Kiss... Why why We we kiss Kiss Under the Mistletoe. I get the name wrong every single time. And I actually don't even have a copy up here with me. That is a much better lead and much more humble. I I should have gone with you. Sorry about that. (laughs) But you have this wonderful new book called Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe. I'm told it's wonderful because I'm embarrassed to say I have not had a chance to read it yet. But I have been privy to a lot of your interviews that you've done. And the cobbler's children and wife go barefoot. (laughs) Unchristmased. But I'm told from people I really respect and the internet, that it's a wonderful book. We actually have gotten some really uh, good feedback from friends whose opinion we respect. And they didn't have to say anything nice, but they went out of their way to say, this is so entertaining. This is a great book. And it's it's filled with all kinds of trivia. It is indeed. Yeah. So now should we talk your, about your book? Well, it's your turn to try to stump... Stump Dr. Dr. Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> we can't call you Father Christmas. Oh, that's right. It's taken. Mr. Christmas, it seems like, come on. Yeah. All right, my first question. The title is, Why We Kiss Under the Mistletoe. Don't make that sound. (laughs) Don't do that again. (laughs) If I ever want to kiss you under the mistletoe, don't make that sound. Don't make that sound again. Noted. Okay, my question is, why do we kiss under the mistletoe? The short answer is the Druids. Lust? Oh, 
okay. Well, that, that's the long <laughs> answer. The short answer is the Druids thought mistletoe was a magical plant. It was green in the dead of winter. It grew without ever touching the soil. It had white berries, again, in the dead of winter. I don't think there are a lot of plants that have white berries. Like you've got purple, that's also you've got red. Yeah, that's right. The unique white berries. But to bury in the winter is very strange. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're like, what's going on with this? Hmm. And so they often made peace under the mistletoe. Like mistletoe that was outside. So I know we, we live in Texas and we have tons of mistletoe because it's a parasite that grows in our trees. And it's usually actually not a sign of good health for a tree to have a lot of mistletoe on it because it's parasitic and it kind of drains the nutrients. It is a parasite. But here's an interesting thing. It usually only attacks or plants on softwood trees. So hardwood trees like live oak, which are very common here in central Texas. I've never seen one there, yeah. Exactly. And when the Druids saw a mistletoe that was growing on an oak tree, they're like, whoa. Like, this, it's a gnomon. Yeah, this is like super special and magical. And they did this elaborate ritual of harvesting it. Their Druidic priests would dress in white robes, and they had these special sickles, and they'd climb up the branches and harvest it, and it could never touch the ground because it had never touched it before. So there'd be some Druids underneath the branch with like a big blanket to catch the mistletoe as it came down. So that all sounds really creepy, honestly. <laughs> and like the kind of thing that as you know, Catholics, you want to avoid that kind of superstition. So how is it that it got baptized then, that, that Catholics do this? Or... Well, they like the idea of making peace under the mistletoe. And so they added their signature greeting of peace, which is the kiss. The kiss is the kiss of peace. Mm -hmm. Greet each other with a holy kiss. And so for Christians, the kiss meant peace. And then they saw the mistletoe and they said, hey, let's kiss under the mistletoe. So it's one of those examples of just like finding some kind of weird pagan thing and then saying, we're going to baptize this. That is correct. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's worked out. Like no one who is into mistletoe is like, it's really druidical. That is correct. One thing I did notice though is like, Unlike some other Christmas customs, like the Christmas tree, which went totally viral global, the mistletoe <laughs> is only in places that have been influenced by nations, influenced by the Druids. So it's England, Ireland, and then by extension, the Anglophone world, right? So Canada, America, the British Commonwealth. But outside that, like in Spanish-speaking countries, so Father Daniel Cardo, our friend in Colorado, is from Peru, and he has Peruvian seminarians, and I gave him a copy of the book, and they looked at the title and said, do we kiss under the mistletoe? Like, they, they had never heard of this custom before. And also, is it possible that places where it proliferated is because that's where mistletoe grows? You know, I don't know what's going on in the Southern Hemisphere with mistletoe. I cannot speak to that. I think we need to make a trip. <laughs> um, and then I asked a Nigerian student, lovely young lady named Miss Chakwuma, and I said, do you kiss under the mistletoe? And she looked at me as if I had three heads. <laughs> and I just said, just so you know, in America, if a boy tries to kiss you under the mistletoe, it may not be sexual assault. It may be, <laughs> but it could just oh, be, you, you may not have to invoke Title IX, it could just be a Christmas custom, but I, I can't weigh in on an individual act. This whole thing feels like already it's a Title IX violation, <laughs> and 
I'm not sure how successful this podcast is going to be, but I may end up becoming your day job. <laughs> yeah, mistletoe in Title Nine. There's a there's a good essay right there. Oh Lord, please no. Can I tell you one other funny thing about the mistletoe? I beg you. So in the Victorian era, there was a tradition that. Every time you kissed under the mistletoe, you had to remove one of the white berries. Oh, goodness. I'm so glad you said that. I thought you were going to say remove an article of clothing and like strip poker. What on earth are like, you talking? But ta- it's the Victorian, Victorian era. Victorian era. They wouldn't like, have done that. Hey, they had a lot of layers, Mike. They had a lot of layers, but like they called their legs limbs and, you know, they... I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Was it like the the chair legs they would call limbs instead of legs because it was too... That's right. It was too racy. Too bodily. Yeah. Exactly. The Victorians were a little bit uptight, I think we're trying to say. That's right. Okay. All right. Small side note, since you brought it up, and wow, we're drinking a, di- a delicious Adam's apple <laughs> right now. Apparently very strong. So there's a great story that Winston Churchill went to a very proper family in Virginia, and they served chicken. <laughs> I know this. I know this. Okay. And... They went around saying, you know, what, what part of the chicken would you like? And he said, well, I would like the breast. And the matron corrected him and said, sir, here we call that white meat. <laughs> so the next day, Churchill gave the hostess a thank you gift, which was a corsage. And the note said, put this on your white meat. <laughs> <laughs> I love the little push against like just ridiculous prudery. Exactly. And that was that was American. I mean, you know, I'm sure Churchill was raised in the Victorian era, essentially. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Even and he the... was the one being like, I'm going to put this on your weight meat. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I love it. Okay. Okay. Where were we? So you were saying <laughs> taking off the berries. Every time you kiss under the mistletoe, you take off a berry. And then... When all the berries are gone, you can't kiss under that mistletoe anymore. No more kisses. Is that why the, you harvested some mistletoe for uh, the largest mistletoe we've ever had? And you harvested that from like a neighbor's yard. And it has so many berries. Oh, yeah. Just in case someone wanted to pluck one off, I'm like, no, you're going to have to do a lot. You're a lot kill- of kissing under the mistletoe. You're killing me, Mike. <laughs> Hey, our kids are so like every time they get stuck under the, the they they go quickly under the mistletoe so they don't get kissed. COVID tide is over. Let's start <laughs> kissing again. That's right. Right, mistletoe sales went way down during COVID. <laughs> exactly, alcohol went up and mistletoe went down. <laughs> That's right. All right, so that is why we kiss under the mistletoe. Yes. All right, so what about the Christmas tree? That ties into this Feast of Adam and Eve we were talking about. Because I'm a fan of the Christmas tree and not just because it's a giant household scent maker. Like I love, (laughs) it just makes our house smell so good. It is lovely. So one of the things I learned from researching this book is that there are myths about Christmas myths. And I grew up being told that the Christmas tree, it's a pagan yuletide holdover. Ew. Well, number one, if it is, so what? You know, well, so is mistletoe. We talked about the mistletoe. If this goes back to St. Paul, you you baptize, embrace whatever is good and harmless in a culture that you're engaging. So number one, so what? But number two, turns out eh, it's false. It's not a pagan yuletide holdover. It is a quintessentially Christian invention. Okay, go on. December 24th was the unofficial feast of Adam and Eve in the Western calendar. And on that day, they would stage plays depicting the Garden of Eden. They had two trees on the stage, 
One was the tree of life, which was originally decorated with unconsecrated wafers to signify eternal life. Wow. So wafers, okay. Mm -hmm. Hosts. And then the second tree. The tree of knowledge? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which would have on it apples or red balls symbolizing the apples, the forbidden fruit. Eventually, these plays were suppressed, but the people loved them so much that they took the two trees, they combined them into one, and they moved them into their homes. And then the wafers became sweets, like candy canes, to signify eternal life. Mm -hmm. And that is the origin of the Christmas tree. So why were they suppressed? A lot of the medieval plays were suppressed because they got out of hand. Oh, really? I thought this was going to be like an Elizabethan thing. No, basically, even before the Protestant Reformation, which also didn't like these plays. Not a big fan. But even the sort of the Catholic clergy by the late Middle Ages was like, basically, the medieval mystery plays were good, but they kind of entered into their late Elvis Vegas stage (laughs) where they just got bloated and corrupt and far too many sequins. So, for example... So, like, it became about the play and not about the origin? It just got out of hand. So, just to give you an example... It used to be about the Jesus. (laughs) Just to give you an example, they had a play about uh, Herod and the massacre of of the innocents. And the guy who played Herod, over time, became increasingly crazy and crazy. So, he'd get on the stage... And he'd just start throwing furniture around. And he would throw them at the clergy in the audience. This seems like um, Meatloaf. It's like, the, like some kind of, you know, modern rock band that's just like ripping, chewing off rat heads. Just getting well, a, little, uh, a little wackadoodle. I'd like to go Shakespeare, if you don't mind, Alexandra. That's, oh, Meatloaf's not Shakespeare. So in Hamlet, no, no, you go. when young Hamlet is encouraging... That's what I was going to say, he's for te- sure. He's telling the actors how to act. He warns them not to overdo it. And he says, this performance out Herod's Herod. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking my drink and I was going to choke on it. <laughs> it out Herod's Herod. That's funny. You're a little wild tonight. You're, you're kind of out Heroding Herod in your I own s- way. Hey, I said this was a strong drink. It's that Applejack, dude. Don't throw furniture at me. That's all I'm saying. I'm not <laughs> clergy. There's very little furniture in this room, but I could throw a couple of books. You've been warned. Next question. So that does that finish the Christmas tree? Yes. Okay, what about Holly? Deck the halls with boughs of holly. So it is true that the pagan Germans used to love to decorate their homes with evergreen in the winter to drive off the doldrums of winter. Like, it's green. We love it. Can I just say that I actually do that even outside of Christmas? We live in central Texas where it's you know not like super cold the way it is in Germany, but I just love to bring all kinds of greenery inside. And so I do that. In November, maybe leaves. I do it in December for Christmas, and then I do it in January, February, March, too. It totally brightens the home. It does. But why holly? It is an evergreen, but so is boxwood. Why is holly chosen instead? Mm-hmm. The answer has to do with its properties. The prickly leaves reminded people of the crown of thorns, mm. and the red berries reminded people of the drops of blood sure. that the infant Jesus would shed on behalf of humanity. So one of the ironies is that the standard Christmas colors are red and green, mm-hmm. and that's because of holly. It has nothing to do with the liturgical year, because violet is the color for Advent. White, White is the is color for Christmas. For Christmas. Yeah. So where's that? Red and green is... So red and green is Christmas colors. You are trying to tell me is really from holly? Absolutely. That's fascinating. And then the irony is 
the holly reminded people of the crucifixion and not the nativity. That is so strange. Also, they're opposite of each other on the on the um, color wheel, which means they're complementary colors. They go well together in that oh, way. That's good to know. It's a little art talk. All right. Excellent. I love holly, and I think it's so interesting that they can grow that in Germany. And we, in again, Central Texas, we have holly. Indeed we do. Yeah. I think another reason why they brought holly indoors is because you can put it in water, you can not put it in water, and it holds up really well. Mm-hmm. Just saying, I'm practical. Very good. Okay. My next question is... How does a California heat wave and the Cuban Missile Crisis lead to some of our most beloved Christmas songs? That was an impressive delivery, Alexandra. Thank you so much. The way you paused. I just completely (laughs) came up with that question myself. I was just sort of like thinking, like, I don't know, this is what I think about all the time. Cuban Missile Crisis, heat waves in California. All right. (laughs) Go on. July. July. 1945. Okay. L.A. was experiencing a terrible heat wave. Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog. Love Mel Torme. Love Mel Torme. Walks into the house of his writing partner. And he can't find the guy anywhere. But he looks on the piano and he sees four lines scribbled on a notepad. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose, etc., etc. <laughs> Something rest. with Eskimos. Anyway, so he says, Hey, buddy, what's this all about? And his friend replies, Mel, I've tried everything to cool down. I took a dip in the pool. I had a cold drink. I'm so hot. I just thought if I could mentally enter into the space of winter, I could cool down. And Mel Torme said, But this is a great song. And within 45 minutes, they finished the rest of the lyrics and added the melody. What? And that very afternoon, they went to their good friend, Nat King Cole. (laughs) Probably a neighbor. And then they played it for him. Nat's eyes grew wide and he said, that's my song. Aww. And that is the birth of the most popular Christmas song in recording history, the Christmas song. Wow. So do you have an opinion about, like, obviously that's a secular song. Yeah. And so many of the songs that you hear on the radio are secular. Do you have an opinion, arch or otherwise, about secular songs? Like, do you not like secular songs or do they give you a cozy feeling? Are you one of those people who just like only wants to listen to, you know, in the bleak midwinter? You're a very good interviewer. Which is one of my favorites. You asked me questions. So I've done three dozen of these interviews and no one's no one's asking me the hard questions like you are alexandra i know how to get like just like a stealth bomber right into yeah i like it yeah i want to throw you off well i gotta throw my my favorite conclusion though to my christmas song story he's evading everybody no 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 the most famous recorded christmas song in history would never have been written if private homes had air conditioning in 1945 (laughs) That's so true. I'm very, I'm very, very grateful for air conditioning nowadays. But had they not had it in 1945, that's what I said, we would not have that song, which is a lovely song. So, in answer to your question, I'm not, I'm not evading. Mike just shook his head. Do not sing it. Everything in moderation. So I love these songs, and there are a number of very popular secular Christmas songs that were actually written by Jewish men. But the a lot of them. uh, Yeah. So. Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was written by a Jewish copy editor at Montgomery Ward. 
But the fascinating thing about him is that he later converted to Catholicism. Oh, what a beautiful story. I read about that maybe in your book. You should read the book. I should really read the book. I think I saw it in a meme. <laughs> I should really read your book. But everybody, I just want you to know, Mike's book is amazing. <laughs> and it's available on yeah. Amazon and drinkingwiththesaints.com and regnery.com. It's an amazing book, I'm told. Alexander is a verified buyer, but not a verified reader. <laughs> of, of so many, very, so many books. I just want you to know, I support you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm such a good wife. So the last thing, the Cuban Missile Crisis. That seems so Christmassy to me. <laughs> so like everyone thinks Christmas when they hear Cuban Missile Crisis. So how is that part of our Christmas lore? The Cuban Missile Crisis occurred in October 1962. And there was a couple, a songwriting couple, that was very concerned about the possibility of a nuclear war. And in this moment of anxiety, they wrote, do you hear what I hear? Which, frankly, is a terribly inaccurate poem about the Christmas story. You know, the king announces good news everywhere. Well, the only king mentioned besides Jesus is Herod. Herod. He wasn't too happy. He's like, do you hear what I hear? I am going to kill him. They played really fast and loose with the details. But when they pray, when they have the lyric, pray for peace, people everywhere, that was from the heart. That was an urgent plea for peace. Hmm. And you know the funny thing about the couple? What? Their first names were Noel and Gloria. <gasps> oh. <laughs> and they were a couple, a couple couple. Yeah, and they later got divorced. We don't we don't have to talk about that. Wow. But anyway, they recorded Sad it part. that very year. And then I think a year or two after that, Bing Crosby recorded it, and that's when it went viral. I was trying to think of a better word. Popular, Mike. Popular. Remember we used yeah, to say popular. We used to say popular. Popular to right. viral. Yeah. Viral was a bad thing back then. That's like right. nobody wanted anything that was viral. Exactly. We're trying to avoid that at Christmas time. Do you hear what I hear? That's such a great song. Yeah. It's it's so weird to think of how many of these songs are just still so recent. Yeah, you think sixty two. That's in, in the grand scheme of things. I, we I have, would have thought like, yeah, that's been around for hundreds of years. We have some midi some hymns that go back, Christmas carols, Christmas hymns that go back to sure. the 12th century, like, oh, Come O Come Emmanuel, a great Advent song. All right. For our final segment, we are proud to announce the winning nickname for followers of the Drinking with the Saints podcast. And thank you all so much for all of your votes. It was really touching. We had really, really good submissions. We narrowed it down to three, but I'm going to read some of the other ones we got as well. So it was Saintly Sippers, Communion of Sots, Faithfully Soused, Holy Happy Hour Habitues, Drinking Disciples, Soulful Sippers, hmm. Bibulous Believers. <laughs> That's a good one. And this is one actually one of my personal favorites, Bibulus Bolandists. I don't get it. So this I is one of the, the reasons why drinky. the average folk won't get it. Well, I'm at, I'm, but we have I'm a very, very well-educated listener, and he knows that the Bolandists Bolandist. were an association of scholars who have done extraordinary research into the lives of the saints since the 17th century. 
I'm feeling like this is like a priest we know. I, I, I cannot dis- divulge his right, name. Okay. These are all anonymous But we are all really grateful for all of your submissions. And the winner is... Drum roll, please. <laughs> Saintly Sippers. Yay! How should we celebrate, Mike? <laughs> I'm not sure I can handle another one. We these may days. actually work in some of these other things. I really like communion of sots. I know you like communion of sots so much, but it's like a sot is actually a drunkard. And that's like, yeah. hey, we're pro-moderation. Yeah. We are. Yeah, but we can make fun. <laughs> anyway, we hope you all have a very Merry Christmas. We look forward to joining you for our next episode or you joining us, whichever works better, (laughs) where we will give you some advice about New Year's Eve drinks. Oh, have a wonderful Christmas. Hope it's full of family, faith, and friends. And God bless you all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to your health and holiness. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. Or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints and find Drinking with the Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking with the Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.